Chapter 12, Part 3 In the sermon series, The Gospel of John Spoken by Pastor Sunita Anton So this past week was Halloween um, Can some of you tell me what you dressed up for for Halloween? Just tell me Yep Anybody? Nobody wants to tell me what you were for Halloween? Yes Huh? Coraline, great Anybody else? Anybody else? Right here. A minion, yeah. All right, one more in the back. Pikachu, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So I know that plenty of you, um, I'm so excited to hear that some of you dressed up for Halloween. I know a lot more of you did. We have some people who dressed up for our trunk or treat. We have... We have some others, yeah. <laughs> so thank you to all of you who participated in our open store and our trunk or treat. Um, but we're excited that you, that you came out and you helped us last week and we're excited that all of you participated. But I bet most of you dress up like a person or an action figure or anime or cartoon character because maybe you think that they're cool or you think that they're fun or you think they're great. And, and for one day, you just want to show the world how cool and great and fun they are. And maybe as you uh, begin to put on that costume, you feel yourself that you are a little cool and a little fun and a little great. And so you want to show that to the world, too. In our passage today, Jesus models how to show that someone else is great. And Jesus will model for us how to show that God is great. And he's going to ask us to be like him in showing how great God is. The word that we see most in our scripture today is the word to glorify God. And it, it, to glorify. And to glorify God means to feel and to act and think in a way that shows the goodness and the greatness of God. To glorify God means to feel, act, and think in a way that shows the goodness and the greatness of God. And sometimes we worship God, and sometimes when we worship through song, it is a way that we glorify God. Sometimes when we read the Bible or we're praying that we are glorifying God. And today Jesus wants us to think about how our obedience glorifies God. That we um, glorify God by our obedience, by following Jesus. So when we glorify God, we show that God has a wonderful purpose for our lives and even for the world. And today we're going to learn about glorifying God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. John 12, 20 through 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it, it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was, not, was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. So last week we saw with Pastor Antti that the crowds had been celebrating Jesus and now there are some guys who are not Jesus, um, Jewish who come to want to see Jesus. They ask the disciples and word, word gets back to Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples that his time has come for him to be glorified. Now throughout the book of John, people attempt to hurt Jesus or kill him because Jesus had been doing the work of God his entire life. But they weren't able to kill him. They weren't able to harm him because his hour had not yet come, meaning that his ministry was still taking place. But now the hour was upon them, the hour in which Jesus would die. Jesus is getting closer and closer to his death, and he knows it, so he's trying to prepare the people. He tells the crowd at the end of the passage that we, that we just read that they only have a short time left with the light because Jesus is the light of the world. And so he tells them, walk in the light, believe in the light while you still have it. And he says to his disciples he's, that he's going to die. And not only does he tell the disciples that he's going to die, but he tells them how he's going to die. He says that he is going to be lifted up. And then all people will come to him. And he's alluding not just to his death, but also to his resurrection. And all that will happen to Jesus is for us. And all that will happen to Jesus will glorify God. But here's the thing, not just in his death, but all of Jesus' life, he has been living to glorify God. When he was born, he was doing God's will coming from heaven to earth to live among the people and to show them God. Even when Jesus was a boy, like around 12 years old, his, his mother and his father, Mary and Joseph, they're looking for him. And where is Jesus? Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching and he's learning. He is always about doing the Lord's business. And as an adult, Jesus is healing the sick people and he's caring for people and he's protecting people from being punished wrongly and he's feeding people who are hungry. He's always doing God's will and showing how powerful and how good God is. Everything that Jesus did glorified God. And now, as Jesus is getting ready to die, he's still going to glorify God. Now, as Christians, we know that we're supposed to follow Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, then that means that our lives ought to be glorifying God as well. Amen? Amen. So that means that our entire lives are about feeling and acting and thinking in a way that shows the goodness and the greatness of God. And so the question that you need to ask yourself, we need to ask ourselves is, does our life glorify God? 
Does our life, the life that we are living, does it glorify God? And if the answer is no, how do we glorify God with our lives? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we glorify God? First, we glorify God when we love God more than we love our lives. When we love God more than we love our very own lives. Look at verses 23 through 25. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus uses this illustration of wheat to tell them that he is going to die. He says that a seed is not use, is not, um, it has no use unless it dies and it produces uh, more seeds. We live in New Jersey and most of us, maybe we've seen wheat, but we've certainly not harvested it. I know I have not. So I had to do some research, right? And so according to the Kansas Farm Bureau, because they do a lot of farming in Kansas, one seed produces one stem of wheat and the head, that part that we see up there, is where the kernels are. And the kernels, that's where we get, that's what they harvest, right? That's how we get our pasta, that's how we get our, our bread, and our cereal, and all that stuff. Can we, okay, so this is one wheat seed. Did you know that just one of those seeds can produce 50 to 100 kernels? So when Jesus says that one seed must die so that many more seeds will live, the crowd knows what he's talking about because they understand what it means to, to plant wheat and to have this crop. Now, we're probably more familiar with like an apple, right? So let's look at an apple seed, right? You have an apple seed, right? And we know what happens when you plant an apple seed. You get an apple tree. But this one tree, one seed produces one apple tree that can produce about 300 apples. When one seed dies more are produced. So Jesus is saying this, that he must die so that more may live. And it's true because Jesus died for our sins so that we all can have eternal life. Amen? Amen. That means eternal life for Jesus in heaven. Jesus loved us enough to die for us and he loved God enough to fulfill God's plan for us. That's how Jesus glorified God. Now, we can't do what Jesus did, but he does ask us to do something. He asks us to love God more than we love our own lives. He says that those of us who love this earthly life so much that we refuse to die with Jesus, we will not see eternal life. But on the other hand, those of us who hate our lives and choose to die with Jesus, meaning that we choose to die to ourselves, we will gain eternal life. Now, what does this mean in short? It means that our lives must contain self-sacrifice. That following Jesus requires self-sacrifice. In other parts of the Bible, they talk about bearing one's cross. It means doing the thing that Jesus asks us to do, the right things, as opposed to the things that we want to do. And we do, it, we do it because we know that Jesus' way is not just better, but that it has an ultimate purpose. 
And so we have to love Jesus more than we love our very own lives. Jesus actually says that we have to hate our lives. And that's such a strong word. I wasn't even allowed to say that word when I was a little girl, right? Jesus says you have to hate our lives. And when he says hate your life, he's, he doesn't say that like we get to go around being unhappy with some part of our lives. Like, oh, I hate that I have to share my room with my sister or I hate that I can't stay up late to, to play games. I, I hate my job or even I hate that I can't go on this fancy vacation. Jesus is not talking about pouting or being ungrateful. Instead, what he's talking about is hating the things in this world that are not of him. Hating the things that are in our lives that are not glorifying to Jesus. And we have to love Jesus enough to do the things that please him over the things that please ourselves. So let me ask you, how many of us like getting up early to go to school or go to work? Nobody. <laughs> Any vegetable eaters, people who love eating vegetables? Oh, good. Wonderful. Awesome. How many people love cleaning their rooms? Not bad, not bad, not bad, <laughs> right? When I was growing up, I hated all of those things, right? I hated getting up early. I still don't like getting up early. I hated eating my vegetables, and I had one of those parents who would not let me get up from the table until I ate everything on the plate, right? And I hated cleaning my room, right? But as we get older, we understand that these things have purpose, Right? So we go to school so that we learn and hopefully we make this world a better place. Right? That we become the leaders and we make this world a better place. We eat our vegetables so that we can be healthy and we can be strong. Right? We clean our rooms so that we can learn to steward well the things that God has given us. Right? So we can be good stewards of what God has given us. And we have to sacrifice the comfort of sleep right? <laughs> sacrifice the comfort of eating only like the fun things that we like to eat. We have to sacrifice the convenience of not having to put our clothes away and all those things because there's a greater purpose, right? It's, it's a small thing, but it's a greater purpose. But that's what Jesus is talking about, that we sacrifice what we like for him because he's greater. So because the thing is, our natural tendency is to do the things that make us feel good in the moment, in this life, with no thought about the future, no thought about eternity, Jesus is calling us to love God more than we love ourselves. So that means that sometimes we will have to sacrifice our pride to forgive someone. Sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice our own time to care for someone who's sick. Sometimes we can't stay out as late as we want to and do the things that we want to because we need to get home and take care of a younger sibling or, or maybe we need to relieve our spouse. Sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice in our jobs and in our careers because we need to maintain our integrity. There are so many women in this church that I have met who have sacrificed their careers and their incomes so they can stay home and care for their children. Right? We're going to have to sacrifice some things in this life. Sometimes you might have to sacrifice your popularity to stand up for truth, right, in the face of racism or sexism or, or something else. That God calls us to live lives of sacrifice because there is a better end. I was telling first service that me and my friend are doing this financial fast, and it sounded like a good idea in the beginning until he told me what it entailed, right? So, so he was like, oh, you, you, can't, you can't use your credit cards. I was like, no problem. 
you can't use your debit card, only cash. I was like, okay, no problem. He's like, you can't go shopping. I was like, okay, I can do that. And then he said, you can't go out to eat. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> right, because, because the idea is that you're, you're only spending your money on your needs, not your wants. But I like to eat out. And that's how I socialize. And I like food. Right? So it's, I'm starting, there are all these pieces to it. And the ultimate goal is not just like savings, the ultimate goal is being intentional about how we spend our money. Right? And being intentional about, about stewarding the money that God has given us well. Right? Minor things. These are minor sacrifices. But we have to get into the habit of knowing that we will always have to sacrifice something for God, that there's always a sacrifice for something greater. And so the question that we need to think about is, what is Jesus asking you to sacrifice for him? What is he asking you to hate in this life so that you can have eternal life? And it can be small things, right? Like I can't participate in the Sephora sale right now. Right? <laughs> but it's also bigger things, right? What is Jesus saying Love me more than this. When we love Jesus more than our own lives, we gain eternal life and we glorify God. Second, to glorify God, we're honest when, it, when it's hard. We're honest about when it's hard. Jesus is perfect and he obeyed the Father perfectly, and yet he still gives us an example, a template, for how to be honest with God when following God is hard. Look at verse 27, the beginning of verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now you know that the Gospel of John is one of four Gospels, and each Gospel emphasizes something different. Now John is really concerned that we understand that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is fully God. And so in the other Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the Gethsemane scene. Do you guys remember the Gethsemane scene, the Garden of Gethsemane scene? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and he's like, Lord, take this cup from me. What he's saying is, God, don't make me have to go to the cross. I, you know, I don't want to have to endure that. But he eventually says, thy will be done. Meaning, God, if it's your will, I will do it. But John, he wants us to remember that God, that Jesus is not just human, but that he's divine. And so there's no garden of Gethsemane scene, but he gives us this scene. And Jesus is praying, and he's praying out loud so that people can hear him, and he admits that his soul is troubled. Jesus is saying that he's anxious, and he's concerned. He's saying that he might even be scared about what's going to happen to him. He knows that he's going to die soon, and he knows that it's going to be painful. He knows that he's going to have to endure suffering and heartache. He knows it's going to be hard, but he knows that he's doing God's will for himself. Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to struggle with what God is asking you to do. He's honest with God about it. Now, sometimes we think that because we're Christians and we love God, that it's always going to be easy when God asks us to do something. And that's not always the case. There will always be times when God will ask us to do something that's difficult. That's why it's called sacrifice. 
because it's faith-forming. It strengthens our faith in God and leads us closer to him and to his will for our lives. And can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus? Jesus had been living in heaven, right? And so he leaves his perfect place in heaven where he is fully God to come to earth where he has to endure the pain of humanity, living in the grief and the violence and the pain of this world and the sin of this world. And he comes here so that he can show us God's love and and how much God is and, and all that God can do. And so Jesus cares for people and he welcomes the children and he heals people and he becomes friends with those who are outcasts and he, and he takes care of them. And then, and then people want to kill him. They want to kill him simply because Jesus is trying to show them how much God loves them. And Jesus knew the entire time that he would have to die, not just for the people who love him, but the people who were trying to kill him as well. That's not easy. But Jesus never sinned. He showed us how to do God's will and glorify him perfectly. And he shows us how we can be honest with God when it's hard. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is showing us how to wrestle with how we feel, how to wrestle when God is calling us to do something that's difficult for us. Now, your prayer may not sound like his. Your prayer might say, God, it scares me to confront my friends about how mean they can be. It can, it can be, God, it hurts me to forgive this person who continues to hurt me over and over again. Your prayer might be simply, I don't want to share my toys. It hurts me. What if they break it? Right? It could be that I'm scared that if I turn down this opportunity at work, another one won't come by. It could be that I'm sad that I'm ending this relationship. It could be that it's difficult to get up in the morning to to pray and to read the Bible. It's hard to fast. But whatever it is, God is inviting us to pray about it, to talk to him about it, to tell him how we feel. Recently, I had to confront a family member about how I was being treated, and I was scared because I didn't want to harm the relationship with that person. I was afraid that if I spoke up about it, that this would kind of create a a further division between us. And that's like, that's really hard in a family. But I know that God was telling me that I needed to say something, that I needed to stand up for myself, that I needed to create a boundary, right? And so I prayed about my fear And eventually I spoke with the person. Now it's only been a few weeks and I still don't know how all this thing is gonna play out. But what I do know is that I feel better because I did what God told me to do, right? What God asks of us is not always easy. And sometimes it's painful, but Jesus shows us that we can be honest with God about it so that ultimately we can glorify God So to glorify God, we must love God more than we love our own lives. Be honest with God when it's hard and finally commit to our purpose. Commit to our purpose. Look at verses 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus's entire life purpose was to glorify God. If Jesus had like a life mission statement, it would simply be, I live to glorify God. And the truth is that that should be all of our mission statements. I live to glorify God. Say it with me. I live to glorify God. Say it like you mean it. I live to glorify God. Jesus is honest and he admits that his soul is troubled, but then he asks this rhetorical question, a question where he already knows the answer to. And he says, should I ask God to save me from this hour? Should I ask God to, to, to not make me die? And he says, no, I can't do that because the reason I live is so that I can die. Right? He knows what his purpose is. And he says, I live so that I can die. He digs into his purpose. He says, Father, glorify your name. Jesus was honest and he struggled, but he was also determined to glorify God. He knew it was hard, but he did it anyway. He demonstrates the faith to conform his life to what God is calling him to do. He surrendered to God's will because what mattered most was glorifying God. God, I don't wanna die but I know that's why I'm here. And I know that there's a purpose in my dying and that purpose is to glorify you. You see, Jesus shows us that we cannot be so focused on what the immediate uh, request is because if we're so focused on that, then all we're thinking about is the pain that it causes us, the discomfort it causes us, the, the changes that we're gonna have to uh, make in our lives. And if that's what we're focused on, we will never obey God, right? We're just, we're in our feelings. But if we focus on the purpose, if we focus on the mission, we can get past this temporary situation. That's what Jesus does. It's hard to forgive, but we don't forgive because it's easy. We don't forgive all the time because it feels good. We forgive because we get to demonstrate God's love to someone else. And we're reminded of what it means for God to forgive us. That's what glorifies God. It's hard to, to share with other people, whether you're talking about sharing your toy, sharing, you know, like your car or sharing your life with someone. Right? But in sharing, we include other people and we care for them and we show them how important they are to us and to God. This glorifies God. It's hard to be patient, but in being patient, we let people know that we are willing to understand them and we will put their needs above our own. This glorifies God. It's hard to make transitions in our lives, moving jobs, moving places to live, but sometimes God is trying to do something and we can't, he can't do it where we are. And then sometimes the connection doesn't seem to make sense. It's not very obvious. And so you might be wondering, Lord, why do I have to leave? And, and why do I have to stay? Or why do I have to speak up? Or, or why do I have to give? And the truth is that we don't always know God's ultimate plan, but we do know that he does have a plan. 
and obedience alone glorifies God. Jesus kept telling the disciples that he would have to die and they didn't understand. Even here, some people in the crowd, they question Jesus and they say, well, we thought the Messiah was supposed to reign forever. How could Jesus now be saying that he was going to die? But if Jesus had not died for us, we would still be in our sin. We wouldn't have eternal life. God has a purpose, even if we don't understand it all. And because God has a purpose, Jesus knew that he could not forfeit his own purpose. And we can't either. We have to commit to glorifying God. That's our purpose. And we practice obedience in the little things so that we can be ready for the big things. It's like practicing in soccer or baseball so that you're ready for the game. Because the truth is, there's no way that we're able to do those big things that we want God to do in our lives if we're not able to be obedient with the little things. Jesus lived a life that always glorified God. This was the final step. He glorified God all his life, and now he was going to glorify God with his death. And our goal is to glorify God with our lives every single day. We're not going to be perfect like Jesus, but he shows us that it can be done. He shows us what it looks like to obey God and to glorify God when we commit to the purpose. Jesus' entire life was about glorifying God, and now he would glorify God in his death. Like the seed of wheat, Jesus would die so that we could all be free from our sins and have eternal life. One seed dies, but it produces many seeds, and we are the many seeds that Jesus produced. In verse 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. We know how Jesus dies, that he's lifted up on a cross, right? And then we know that three days later, he's lifted up in the resurrection. And soon after, he's lifted up and he's ascended to heaven. And what happens? All of us, because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, because of his ascension, all of us have been drawn to him. Even in his death, Jesus glorified God. And now Jesus is inviting us to glorify God as well. When we love God more than our own lives, when we are honest with God when it's hard, and when we nevertheless commit to the purpose, we will glorify God with our own lives too. So when I first came to Metro, I had done no research on Metro at all. None. Right? I'd never been here. I didn't know anything. And, um, and so I left my old church. I left my old job. I came to Metro. But if I had listened to just maybe a few of the sermons, I would have known that the vision here is transformation. And I would have known that undergirding this vision of transformation is this thing called vulnerability. It's, it's about sharing your hurts and your struggles and your pain in your life. And I think to myself all the time that like maybe God knew to keep me blind because if I knew what I was getting myself into, I probably would have resisted. You see, I'm a private person. I'm an introvert. 
am a perfectionist. I want you to see the finished product. You don't need to know all that went through to get me right here. I love people, and I'm happy to share my story with people one-on-one, -on -one, or maybe in small groups, but I do not like standing on stage and sharing my world with hundreds of people. I don't like doing it. And when I came here, I struggled with that a lot. But I knew it was biblical, right? This is a Bible church. Pastor Peter says it all the time, right? We, per we quote Paul, right, in 2 Corinthians 12, that we boast in our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us. In, in Revelation, John says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So this whole concept of vulnerability and sharing your life, this is actually biblical. And I had to struggle with that. I, I struggled with God about sharing my story in sermons. And from this pulpit, you've heard me talk about how difficult it was for me to transition from law into a career in ministry. I've talked about the grief surrounding my mother's death. I've, I've talked about the challenges that I've had with my mother and, and, and when he got, re, I mean, excuse me, my father, and then when he got remarried. I've shared about ending relationships and obedience to God at the same time struggling with being single and wanting to have children. I've had to be honest with God in my preparation because this was all very difficult for me. It's been hard for me, but it's gotten better. It's gotten better. But I realized that I have to sacrifice my comfort for his glory. Because the thing is, I've had to give my personality and my tendency towards privacy a backseat. Because the purpose is not for you to get to know me, although that's wonderful because I love getting to know all of you. And the, and the point is not for you to be a voyeur in my life. The point is that if you can see through my life that God is a provider, that God is a healer, that God is a reconciler, that God is a sustainer, that he can bring you out of despair, that he can give you hope, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. If maybe you could see those things in my life, perhaps you might believe that God could do it for you too. Yeah, that's right. And at the end of the day, my life actually isn't my life after all. And my story actually really isn't my story, it's God's story at work in me. And so my, my discomfort has to be sacrificed so that hopefully if I fulfill the purpose that God has for my life, that it might encourage you to fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. And then guess what? Then both of us get to glorify God. Because the goal is always to glorify God. God is going to ask us, he has been asking us to do things that are difficult, to sacrifice things, to do the hard things. But it's with a purpose. And so he's asking us to glorify him, to glorify him by loving him more than we love our own lives. To be honest with him, that is difficult to be honest with him about how hard it is and how we wrestle, but to ultimately commit to the purpose, commit to the goal, and that is to glorify God.
So I'm going to give you a few moments now. And I want you to, to really prayerfully consider how is God trying to be glorified in your life? How is God trying to be glorified in your life? Let me give you a minute or two to think about that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, sometimes we can get so overwhelmed and so focused on what you are calling us to sacrifice, God, that we forget, God, that it's a privilege to be used by you to glorify you, God. God, because the truth is that you don't need us, but you invite us to glorify you, God. God, we're not even good enough to save ourselves. You had to do that for us too. You had to send Jesus to die for us, God. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't be right on our own, God. But now, God, you're inviting us, your children, cleansed by your blood, You're inviting us to glorify you. You're inviting us to show the world how good and how great you are. And so, God, would you encourage all of us, God, to be obedient to your calling? Help us to live lives that glorify you. Help us to, to feel and think and, and live and act in a way that shows your goodness and your greatness, God. Help us to love you more than we love our lives. And God, we know that we're going to struggle, but God, help us to be honest with you about it. And at the end of the day, God, help us to nevertheless move beyond the struggle, just like Jesus did, God, to be committed to the purpose of glorifying you. God, we thank you that you choose us God, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that we can be a part of making your name great. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.